Well, good morning. Uh, good morning to you all. God bless you. Um, quite a few folks sick, and um, there's a vomiting bug going around different things. So, thankfully, if you made it here, you must be all right. <laughs> so it's nice to see you all. Yes, this month we're planning just amongst ourselves to go through the Book of Ruth. Um, sort of let you know, and I hope that you'd maybe be reading through Ruth already yourself. It's only four chapters; doesn't take very long to read, and. Uh, I think the more and more you read at, at Ruth or any book in the Bible, really, the more that you start to see and the more it comes out that's helpful and, and a blessing. So that's been my experience. And I'm just going to sort of open up with uh, Ruth and then it'll be other speakers through the rest of the month. So, um, you know, the principle of keeping the best to the end. Well, <laughs> that means the worst at the start, really. So here we go. We're going to turn to the book of Ruth and we'll read through the whole chapter. It won't take us very long. And then we'll move on to consider what lessons we may find there. Just before we read, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your loving word. Your loving word. It's like no other word. Um, and we pray the Lord as we hear your word that it might get into our hearts. And change those things that need changed. And bring about in our lives the godliness of character and of life that you want from your people as we reflect your son in this evil age. And so we pray, Lord, for your word, that, Lord, what will be heard will be your word and not the presenter. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read chapter 1, as I say. So here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? <coughs> no, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you 
because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is a wonderful story. And the end of the chapter begins with the begin. The end of the chapter ends with the beginning. But we're going to start at the start. And to do that, we really need to read the last verse of the book before, which is the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is the spiritual condition that we step into in the book of Ruth. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that is the spiritual condition in Israel, and it's important that we grasp that. Elimelech, because of the reason of the famine, elects to take his wife and his two sons down to Moab. This is a story of, of, of overall where we've got to go down before we go up. That in the story of Ruth, we see a life of character and faithfulness, even when everything seems difficult and hard. And the key, of course, is found in, in, that, in those words of Ruth when she spoke so wonderfully to Naomi. But Elimelech elects to take his family down to Moab. This is a hard and a difficult journey. I have a couple of slides just to get us into the context of the beginning of Ruth and where we're at. There's a picture there of, um, of Israel and Bethlehem uh, and Jerusalem are round about here. There's, that should be Bethlehem around about there. I can't quite see, but I think that's it. Bethlehem. And this journey, I, I made a wee quick video of it. Uh, it might work. It isn't going to work. Worked early. That's always the way, isn't it? But it was a hard journey. It was a hard journey for them to walk from Bethlehem round about here right down to the, the city of the plains where Sodom and Gomorrah were, 
and up by Edom and into Moab. Drawn a wee picture of it there. Bethlehem sits at an elevation of about two and a half thousand feet, a little bit over two and a half thousand feet above sea level. And to get down to the Dead Sea, because they would had to go down that way, right down into the city of the plains, it's the deepest place on land on earth, the Dead Sea. It lies at an, an elevation of 1,340-some feet below sea level. So to make this journey, Elimelech and Naomi and the two boys had to make a journey. It was going to take them about three days to make this journey over very difficult terrain, but it begins downward. A journey of about 4,000 feet on foot over some of the most difficult and hostile terrain in the world. And they made their way down. And in this is a picture that in this story, Elimelech takes a choice and a decision that is going to take himself and his family downwards. They're heading off to a people who live in Moab, a people who are separate from Israel. Moab was uh, a child of a daughter of, of, of Lot's. And so there's a relationship to Israel. But there are people who have rejected God. They, they have rejected God altogether. And they follow a God called, God called Chemosh. And they live near the city of the plains. Sodom and Gomorrah is, is local territory to them. And that is the direction that Elimelech takes his family. Now, it's easy to condemn Elimelech and Naomi because they were in the middle of a famine. I've never known famine. I've never known a time where there's absolutely no prospect of food. I don't know what that kind of difficulty is like. But ultimately, choices were made that took a man and his family away from God and ultimately into heartache, heartbreak and death. I uh, used to work for a wedding photographer called Leslie Stewart. And whenever I left and then started working in forensic photography, I still did the odd wedding. And my first wedding I did was a colleague, <coughs> or a, a, a friend in school who'd got married. He was a Christian. And um, he got, anyway, he, he married a girl, a lovely girl, really sweet girl. And um, we'll call my friend Eric. And Eric, he, they got married and, and he said that he was going to become a pilot. He's going to fly for Missionary Aviation Fellowship. And within two years, that was right out the window. He had left his wife, broke her heart completely, went off with someone else, who eventually I went on to learn broke her heart as well, and went on to live a life of really bad choices and a whole wake of destruction behind him. He made a series of bad choices. He went down. And Elimelech, as I say, it's, it's easy to criticize him. We weren't there. But yet choices were made that eventually, bit by bit, led to destruction, futility, loss, and death. And for Naomi, we come into her life and we find she's in a time when life is hard. What is it she said to the girls? She said, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. When they eventually make their way back to Bethlehem and the woman of, the, of Bethlehem look and they can hardly believe is this Naomi who left 10 years ago? She must have, her face must have been so drawn with the sorrow of losing her lovely beloved husband and her lovely boys. And she's nothing, no grandchildren, nothing to show for it. And she's come back with the haggardness of a life's experience. And she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. 
She says, call me Mara, which means better. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant? Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord, the Almighty, has brought misfortune upon me. And the question as I look at that, we sort of have to ask ourselves, I think, and I ask myself is this, when life becomes hard, when life becomes difficult, and you know, it will. If you're young, maybe you haven't seen so much, or maybe you have. And as you get older, you discover that through life there are difficult and hard experiences. There are things that really test your faith. People let you down. You're hurt. You have disappointments, unanswered prayers, apparently so. But when things get hard, where do we turn? And I don't need to list a whole series of unfortunate events that could possibly happen, of illness, disappointment, hurt, and spiritual famines. But too many, when faced with things like that, take the road that leads down. Egalimelech, they head down that 4,000-foot journey down into a place or the city of the plains, down into the area of the Dead Sea. And the question might be, well, why does God allow bad things to happen anyway? <laughs> I have a wee book at home called Why Bad Things Happen to Christians, which is a very cheering title. But bad things do happen to Christians. And as I look out in this little fellowship in Valley Halbert, and you know, possibly someone has picked up a CD and somewhere, or maybe they've been given it by a friend, and maybe at home they're listening on this, on this and, and they're thinking, yes, I've had difficult times and hard times, and why does God allow bad, well, these things to happen in my life? Well, just like the Lord, we are attacked by the, by the, the powers of evil and uh, Satan himself. He's a deceiver of the brethren and he hates us because we stand for Jesus Christ. And he will do, he is, the, he is the God of this world and he will do what he can to hurt us and to harm us. So sometimes bad things happen because of him. Sometimes the world and the culture around us attack us and you know that the culture that we're living in is rapidly descending downhill. And if we are going to hold our ground, we will therefore be higher and higher above the level that's getting lower and lower and more and more visible and more and more a target for the culture and the world around us if we hold our ground. The other third reason is that humanity in this world that we live in is broken by sin and we are not in heaven yet. But the last is perhaps we make wrong and sinful choices in our lives. Perhaps we have just chosen a road that goes down. And that could be the case for someone sitting at home and they've discovered that they've just taken a road and they look back in their lives and it was a choice that brought them down. The Bible is replete with examples like this. Abram went down and he lied. It tells us in Genesis 12, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And whenever he was down there, he realized that his wife, who was very beautiful, he said, well, listen, I'm going to get in trouble here if anybody discovers we're married because they'll not want me in the way, so you'll be my sister. And he begins a life telling lies. And that leads to all kinds of problems. And even Pharaoh has to stand up and be the righteous man. He says, why did you lie to us? This is your wife. 
sometimes we go down. Jo Jonah went down. You remember the story of Jonah, Jonah 1. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. He just was not prepared for the, for the work that God had for him. And so he took the easy route. And the route was down, down to Joppa and then out to Tarshish, as far away from God as he could get. And sometimes it's possible when God faces us with difficulties that we take the road that leads down to go as far away as possible. Pull the blanket over our heads. Hope he doesn't see us. And we'll just go out on our own. You know the story of Samson. And Samson's life is a whole story of going down. He goes down, he goes down. He went down to Timnah because he saw a beautiful girl there. And that led to a life of taking choices that, that brought him ultimately to having his eyesight gouged out because he kept taking choices that were down. And David... In the time when kings went to war, he remained at home up in his palace and he looked down and he sees on the flat roof of Uriah the Hittite his beautiful wife. And we know where that led to. So when do we go down? When do I go down? Well, whenever we take a route in our lives without reference to God, we just ram stam ahead without any prayer involved in it. And we just take that business choice, we take that relationship choice, we just take that choice without reference to God. We just go on our own and we're going down. We go down whenever we blame God on our difficulties. We saw how bitter Naomi was and she led it right at the feet of God. She said, God has made my life bitter. Everything that's happened in my life, God did that. He's brought this misfortune upon my life. It was God that did that. And because of the graciousness and the goodness of God, Naomi was to learn something. As the book goes on. I suppose there's a lesson really in that book of Job for us all. In the book of Job, we read that Job says in chapter 1, after he'd lost everything and lost his home and lost his children, he says, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Just as a matter of interest, the, the land that Elimelech and Naomi and the boys went down to, you know, for many years people d dis disputed even the existence of King David or the land of Moab. And in 1886, a German archaeologist dug that stone up. <coughs> it's called the Moabite stone. And on it there's reference to King David. And it's, it's, on it, uh, um, it mentions that um, the Israelites were at war with the king of Moab, and there's a lot of stuff that's right straight out of the book of Chronicles. It's now sits in the Louvre in France, and you can go and see it if you happen to be in Paris. But they dug that up in the, in the, the, the sodium and in the potassium and in the salt fields and plains of, the, of, of Moab. Evidence of the reality of this story. This isn't just fictional. But when Job was faced with the very same kind of difficulties... Job, Job could say that sin did not, or Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing for whatever is happening in my life. And here's the lesson I learned. Whatever is happening in my life, though I can't understand it, though I struggle with it, 
though it seems inexplicable. God will mean it ultimately for good if I make him God of my life. Well, the lesson from Joseph. Joseph was put into a pit. He was thrown down into a pit. He was sold down into Egypt. He, he ran out of the house when he was chased by the woman. He was cast down into a prison. It was just a downward journey for, for Joseph. But in all of that, you remember at the very end of the story of Joseph when the brothers come and eventually Joseph reveals himself to the brothers. You remember what he said? I'll read it to you. Do not be afraid. They were afraid he was going to kill them. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people from death. You know, for us, we don't like difficulty. I don't like difficulty. I don't like, don't like difficulty in my spiritual journey. And when it comes, you think, well, this can't be right. Surely it's all happy, clappy, and things are happy, good, and this, this, this can't be right. But sometimes the Lord allows things to happen in our lives to shape us and to form us and to make us and to bring us into the person, the man and the woman who will be more like Jesus. Because ultimately, that's what he's chiseling us away into being. <coughs> I think it was Da Vinci or Michelangelo possibly was asked one time, I think it was Michelangelo, who had made a beautiful statue in marble of a, of a wonderful horse. And someone asked Michelangelo one time, how do you ever do that out of a lump of, of marble? Chip away to, to make something so beautiful. How do you do that? He said, well, actually, it's not very hard. All I do is I chip away the bits that don't look like a horse. <laughs> and sometimes it can be in our lives that God is just chipping away those bits that don't look like Jesus. Allowing to come into our lives those struggles and difficulties. Allowing those things like in the life of Joseph that would make him into the man who'd be the number two in Egypt. Yes, sometimes the things, the choices we make are because of our own waywardness. Sometimes we take the path downwards ourselves. But when we come to the point of turning, God is able to, what we meant for evil, God is able to make for good. And to change around a whole life. And if, if someone even listening on the CD or someone hearing this realize they've taken some wrong roads and taken some wrong choices there is no place where we can be that's too far from the hand of God to reach us and bring us home the prodigal son wasn't so far that he couldn't go back to his dad There's a lovely couple I know. It's a, a church I would preach at up towards, up in Lisburn. I was talking to her recently. They have a daughter, and she, lovely girl, she got married to a fella here, and they were married for about a year or two, and he came home one day, and he said to his wife, his new wife, he said, um, I've got cancer. And he lived about two years, and he died, and my friends, the, the, the lady whose daughter she was, she told me that the daughter then decided that she would go to Australia to start a whole new life. And with the support of my two friends, my two elderly friends, 
they, they helped her to go off to Australia. And there she started a whole new life. And after a couple of years, what do you know, she met a young man in the church that she was going to, a lovely one of the pastors in the church. And they were married and, and everything was changed. And they had a little daughter together. And then one day he came home and he told his wife that he had cancer. And just two and a half years ago, he died. And I was speaking to Margaret and she was telling me what this did to her faith. Her daughter, who lost her first husband, went to Australia and then her, lost her second husband. And she said, I almost lost the way. It was such a struggle. Why would God allow this to happen? And she struggled with her faith, fully part of the assembly in which she is, in which her husband is an elder, really fully part, and, and just found the whole thing. So she almost lost her faith. But she decided just to hold on. And to keep holding on, she didn't understand why God should allow such a thing. And the daughter held on. And actually she's coming back, or is now back in Northern Ireland, and has still holding on a light of faith, believing in Jesus Christ, despite the circumstances that sometimes you just cannot explain. But like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There's only two books in the Bible named after women. One of them is Ruth. The other one, as you know, is Esther. Some wonderful contrasts in them. Ruth was a widow. Esther, an orphan. Ruth came to Israel. Esther was an exile from Israel. Ruth was a Gentile living among Jews. And Esther was a Jew living among Gentiles. Ruth was from a pagan country and married a Hebrew. And Esther was a Hebrew who married a pagan. Ruth gleaned in a field. Esther ruled in a palace. Ruth was poor. Esther was rich. Both were foreigners living in a land other than their own. Both found favour in the eyes of those who saw them. But both were examples in faith and loyalty. An interesting thing is that even while Naomi is laying at the feet of God, the responsibility for the struggle and heartbreak in her life, yet even in that, Ruth must have seen something in the relationship that Naomi had with the living God that was not like the Chemosh of, Boab, of Moab, not like the little statues that were carved out of the, the potash of, of the lower city grounds. But in Naomi, there was a living relationship, though it was at this time one of bitterness and struggle and hardship. Ruth could see in the life of her mother-in-law, there was a living, personal relationship with a living God. And although Naomi struggled, Ruth the foreigner has seen enough to decide in faithfulness, this is the life she wants. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and the more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. What a wonderful picture of faithfulness and love. When we became Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, it was a one-time for all time decision. 
And we sing that little chorus, don't we? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And we as believers in Jesus Christ have set our seals. Whatever struggles come along in life, whatever difficulties, whatever joys, whatever sorrows, I have decided to follow Jesus. Joshua stood in front of the people and said, As for me and my house. And can you say that? That you've decided, no matter what, I will follow Jesus. Would to God that all of us, would to God that I could say when my race is run, like Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 1968, I've asked you a general say a sports question. Where was the Olympic Games held? Well done, George, Mexico. You were just about to say that. Tip of the tongue. Yeah, on the tip of your tongue. Mexico, 1968. And the last event of the Olympics in that year was the marathon. And the crowds filled the stadium. And as they watched the winner come in, he was an Ethiopian, would you believe it? And he came in and he ran his circuits around the inside of the stadium and to fantastic applause and people shouting and waving, he crossed the finish line. But away, way, way, way back down, way out of the stadium and away down in Mexico, still running, was a man from Tanzania. His name was John Stephen Akwari. He had suffered during that race. He had fallen several times. And at about 18 miles mark, he was, he was so sick, he was so debilitated that the race organisers tried to persuade him to give up, but he wouldn't. And eventually, when most of the people in the stadium had left, an hour after the winner had finished, John Stephen Akwari ran over into the stadium and stumbled his last circuit of that stadium. His head was throbbing, his muscles were aching, he was continually following, but he falling, but he'd pick himself up and at last, to those who were in the stadium, they too stood and cheered as John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania finished last by a long way, but he finished. Reporters, a reporter later asked him why he had not dropped, dropped out. Listen to what Aquari said. My country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish. Ruth would not be diverted. She would not be swayed. So where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. I'm in this. I have decided to follow Jesus. 2018 was the year of greatest persecution in recorded history for, Christian, for Christians throughout the world. In 2018, they reckon 215 million Christians now in that year and now today experience high, very high or extreme persecution for owning the name of Jesus Christ. One in 12 people in this world live in a place where Christianity is either illegal, it is forbidden or it is punished. In North Korea, more than 50,000 Christians languish in labour camps. In Afghanistan, those who to follow, decide to follow Jesus Christ and are caught on are immediately are taken to a mental asylum or put to death by their families. 
In Pakistan, the greatest recording of violence against Christians was recorded last year of all countries in the world. In Nigeria, Christians face violence and death. In India, Christians face immense levels of violence by Hindu nationalists. In Sudan, to leave Islam and follow Jesus Christ is punishable by the death sentence. In Hebrews, it says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards good love, towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Ruth stuck to her mother-in-law because she saw in her something that was vital and real. Do you know there are Christians in the world? who would beg just to be in a fellowship where you can read a Bible, just to be amongst a, a group of people who, who have a Bible, just to be where someone will say the name of Jesus aloud and they'll not be in fear of their lives, even should it be underground. They thirst for that. They hunger for that. Christians are dying for what we in the secular, tepid, lukewarm West couldn't be bothered coming out to church for or because it doesn't suit us, because they sing the wrong hymns, the wrong translation, the dress code's too strict, the dress code's too slack, whatever one in a thousand reasons that Christians stay at home. And then you outside here, you know, one of the things that really hurt the leaders within churches is those who just leave. They just leave. <laughs> they just, because it doesn't suit them. It doesn't suit the entertainment or the, the values that they put to what they want to have a church fellowship. While one in 12 Christians are being punished just for owning the name of Jesus. And some of us can't even come out to fellowship and thank Jesus that he saved us. That he bought us with his own blood. And maybe there's someone listening at home, you know, and this, you, you haven't been coming out to church. I don't know where you go, maybe some other part of, the, of Northern Ireland or beyond. Can I encourage you? Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Jesus Christ commands you to come together. You know, sometimes we, we, look, at, we look at the New Testament, look at the people that Jesus fellowship with. You know, we, there's a whole lot of reasons that we don't fellowship together. Maybe a young couple get married and they, they move off to one, a church they've decided on. That's fine. That happens. One or other of them probably didn't come to the church that they were at and so they move on. Maybe they leave because they've gone to study in another country and so they go to church there. Or they, they maybe marry and they, they leave to go and work in another place. People leave for legitimate reasons. Maybe because of illness or they're unable to attend anymore, so they're not able to be with us and they're at home. Maybe because, maybe because that church becomes apostate and denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a good reason to leave. Maybe because they leave because they died. That's a good reason to leave. And to go on and really join the church. <coughs> but not because the church doesn't suit you. Not because you don't get anything out of the worship anymore. The worship's not about you. Not because life's too busy now and it's just hard to get out to church. Not because you can get all the teaching you need from John MacArthur or Francis Chan or, or, or from Chuck Swindle on YouTube and actually you can just dig your own furrow at home. 
and not because someone annoys you, and not certainly not because you've discovered the world that the church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> Look at the people Jesus fellowship with. Was it with the Pharisees, those good, upright and straight, who got it all right and sang the right hymns and did the right things and, and knew the scripture back to front? No, it wasn't. He called them hypocrites and he met with people with colourful pasts. And he met with sinners and he sat down with them and he explained to them the kingdom of God. And bit by bit, he chipped off from the bits that didn't look like himself. Church is a place for broken people. We come and with all of our problems and with all of our struggles and with all of our hurts and with all of the things that are wrong about us. <laughs> and you can look at me and you can see wrong things about me, the wrong things I say, and I can look at you and do the very same thing. Church is for a place of broken people. They're dysfunctional to some extent. Messy church, colourful pasts, all kinds of problems, all kinds of struggles. But as I look down from this platform, I see Jesus. I look into your face, I see Jesus, but that's why I'm here, because Jesus is here. I want to be where Jesus is, and he's in your heart, and he's in your life. And though we may be broken, though we may have plenty of reasons to find to criticize one another, we don't, because we've come to find Jesus. Nearly finished. And I'm just going to finish with a wee sort of pointer to where we're going. I love the end of this chapter. Those last final words. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You see, the beginning is at the end. For us as believers, the beginning is at the end. We look forward to a time when he will appear or we, we will close our eyes in death and we shall. And the beginning will be at the end. And we'll see him who endured such a contradiction of sinners for all of our problems and all of our brokenness and all the things we didn't understand and the scales shall fall from our eyes and we shall see him as he is. I prayed with my grandfather who was blind all his life who had had Alzheimer's and hardly knew if left from right, didn't know his children. But when I read with him in Corinthians and we came to that part, he said, then I shall see him. I could see his face light up with the, the joy of looking ahead, knowing that one day very soon he was going to awaken and his eyes would be opened and he would see him whom he had served all his life. Stephen... John Akwari, what did he say? My country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish. And brothers and sisters, we have such an exciting finish ahead of us and so much now to do. Can I just encourage you as a fellowship, all of us to decide to spur one another on, to excite one another, to to remind each other that despite of our failings and the struggles that we have, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I have decided to follow Jesus. Just one last thing 
sort of, you know, I, I think we should all be involved in church. Can I just encourage you, if you're not, don't be a lever of things, be a, be a cleaver, join things. If you're not involved in something in church, you know, you should, it's really good for you. Spiritually, it's good for you. Can I just say, I've just been asked by Bally Walter Primary School. This is um, Scrabble running this, it's the, uh, and it's done through um, Sam Bammer there, you know, from the Bible Educational Services. And it's, it's a structured scripture, uh, study through the Bible for children in primary school. And it takes them right through the book of, right through the Bible. Um, and for some of those children, it'll be the only input they will have of the Bible. And they take it home, the little homeworks to do, and then it comes in, and Scrabble is so overloaded now, they can't take on any more schools. They have so many schools, to thousands of children doing this. And Bally Walter want to do it. And they've asked me, would you have anybody in your church who prepared once a month to take up all those workbooks from the school as they come in and mark them, put wee comments in, well done, whatever, there's a little place for you to put it, I can show it to you later tonight. If you're interested in that, perhaps you're not involved in YF, perhaps you're not involved in something and you would like to do something, but you don't feel that there's something here you can do. Maybe this is something you can do for Jesus. Uh, and to help out with this, we need maybe a team of people who are prepared to mark this once a month. And I'm going to let Bally Walter know whether or not we can do this. So if you see me tonight, if that's something you think you can do, please come. I have decided, sing with me, to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Father, we just thank you that you never said, you never ever left us. You promised Jesus himself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Forgive us for at times we've been unfaithful. We have been just sometimes unfaithful. And Lord, forgive us, we pray. And Lord, if there's someone listening and being away from the Lord or making choices that are just of personal bias rather than following Jesus, help them to see. Help them just to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the hope that's set before us. We thank you for your daily presence with us, for the help that you give us every day. Thank you that Naomi came to that point where she turned and she went back and ahead of her lay blessing that she could yet imagine. And we pray you bless each one of us as we go. May the Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.